0: the game podcast is proudly sponsored by starcitygames.com and this weekend the scg tour heads to philadelphia for another team constructed open tune in to watch scg philly at twitch.tv scgtour the action kicks off at 10:30 eastern and is hosted by matthias hunt ryan overturf nick miller and the rest of the scg tour crew Everyone, welcome to the 60th episode of The Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb, and his uh, screen name for Zencaster is Bob Barker. Come on down. What's what's up with that?
1: Yeah, so Bob Barker. I think everyone who's like my age has the experience of staying home from school and watching The Price is Right. Like that was just the- Yeah, you're sick yep. or it gets snowed in. The best possible thing you could do. Um, so I have a lot of affinity for Bob Barker. He was also a big animal rights activist, which I'm down with. Maybe some problematic interactions with women, but we'll leave that aside for the time being. I want to start yeah. today with a little game. It's not quite The prices Right, but I, I want to throw some facts at you and uh, see if you can guess them. And they all relate to the hot topic at the moment, the
0: new standard format that we're playing right now. Well, hold, hold up. Did you know that I was on The prices Right? Like as a contestant? No, no, no. So like I attended a show. I'm going to tell this story really quick. This was before Pro Tour LA 2005. And... Uh, How it worked was, I had never been on a game show before, you know, so like I didn't know how it worked. So they just have all the audience members line up and they just like interview you one by one. It's just like, you know, where are you from, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like towards the end of the line and we just have this group of like 15 Magic players or something. Mm -hmm. And they get to me they're like, where are you from? I say Minnesota. And he's like, oh, Minnesota. And I was like, hey, we don't talk like that. From that, we just got like a pretty good banter going, you know? Okay. And... It was pretty good. And I was like, oh, I think I like killed this interview. Like, you know, people are telling me that, like, oh, you know, maybe you get selected to go up or whatever. And I truly think that that would have happened, except the person directly behind me in line was Mark Herberholz. Oh, and I definitely know he was on the prices, right? He was on the prices, okay. right? Uh, so, spoiler. But they interview him. And it's just like, oh, what do you do? And he's like, I go to school. And they're like, oh, what are you majoring in? And he's like, well, this. But like, you know, I just, Basically just booze booze around all day and like, you know, try and, I don't, I don't know, like nail chicks or whatever. So he said <laughs> something like that, you know? And yeah, then he got selected instead of me. You were sniped. You were basically sniped by Mark Herberholtz. I was. So it's kind of messed up. But if you want to see uh, Mark herberholz on The Price is Right, you can probably YouTube that. It's not good quality, but... Uh, it was very, very entertaining and he did a much better job than I would have, but still.
1: As soon as you started talking about it, I started getting flashbacks of like an SCG article that included pictures of someone on The Price is Right. And that's why I thought for a second, oh, maybe it's Jerry and I just forgot. But now that you say it, I, I do remember Mark being on The Price is Right.
0: Nope. But if you squint really hard, you can see me in the audience when they call his name.
1: Nice. You're like a superstar.
0: Yeah, basically. It's my okay. claim to fame. All right. <laughs> okay. Bob
1: now let's let's get to my game. And and I'm going to ask you to guess some numbers from the events of this weekend. And the events I'm considering are the top 16 of the Moto PTQ and the top 16 of the SEG Classic in Standard. I excluded the team event just because, you know, we we don't know what decks actually rose to the top there. So I want to talk about the appearance rates of some cards. Okay. And I want to start with the cards that we thought were the number one in this set, the best cards that you and I saw in Rivals of Ixalan. So let me hear a guess from you. How many copies of my number one card, Jade Light Ranger, were in these two top 16s? Out of 128 potential appearances, how many Jade Light Rangers were played? 40. The answer is 12.
0: Mm, That's not super high, but that card is really good and might be the best card in the set.
1: I, I still feel that way. You know, there's a lot of adaptation and a lot of adoption as well that has to be done with the new cards. And it stands to reason that week one is going to have a harder time doing that. I'm not off Jade Light Ranger or anything, but that was a really low number, a, a strikingly low number. So I wanted to make cool. mention of that.
0: How does that change if you look at the team open, though? Because there was like a decent amount of like green red monsters and there was like the Jessup Saltai deck and everything. Like, Jade Light Ranger is in a lot of places, you know? Right,
1: right. I think that I think that's true. And like I said, we're taking a, a small sample. I just didn't know what to do with that data because that's not authoritatively representative of the best performing standard decks from that tournament. So I, I left to the side for the time being. I get that it's problematic, but this is just for our fun, you know, data point, quick hits type thing. It's, okay. it's not really whole, the whole picture. But along those same lines, the next card we need to talk about is your number one card what the, was my
0: number one card?
1: Your number one card was the infamous Chupacabra.
0: Oh, okay. Uh 30. Eleven Damn. appearances of Chupacabra. One less
1: than Jade Light Ranger. So I'm declaring myself the winner of the Rivals of Ixelon top ten. Yeah, I mean you definitely win. Like kind of by default. I don't know that it's a, a authoritative win, but still, these were interesting numbers. One more little quick hitter I want to do. How many copies do you think there were of our number one hot fire speculation pick, Rekindling Phoenix? The card that we said had the potential to be the breakout mythic of this set.
0: And it kind of has broken out. It's hella expensive now. Mm-hmm.
1: Doubled in price since we did our podcast. 30. 24. So more than either Jade Light Ranger or Chupacabra. Yeah. So you definitely got some some hot financial advice if you were listening to us.
0: And And how many curious obsessions...
1: Four. Uh, Four. Yeah, there was four.
0: Thank you. You got it.
1: I think that's more than a lot of people would have expected. So good call on that one. You definitely uh, alerted us to that archetype very early.
0: His deck is hot fire.
1: It's interesting. It's an interesting one. It's totally unlike anything else out there. And that's what we talked about. It was going to enable, right? It was going to be a deck that didn't look like anything else on the planet. So
0: yeah, his deck is gas. It's just like kind of like a Boggles deck with Adanto Vanguard and has a bunch of cartouches and like very, very bad one drops in Sacred Cat and Legion's Landing and, you know, bad in quotes, like one mana, one, one lifelinks. But yeah, his
1: deck was sweet. I thought so too. really nice piece of deck building. A couple more numbers hits before we get into standard more holistically. How many unique archetypes do you think there were across those two top 16s?
0: Are you categorizing them yourself or are you just going by what SCG named them? I
1: Because I'm using the Moto data as well. For the SCG, I took what they named, and then the Moto decks, I categorized them myself.
0: So thirty-six or 32 decks, uh, I'm going to say 14. 17 archetypes. Damn! Yeah, that's, I mean,
1: that's a big number. That's, that's really cool to see this early on in the format. And granted, it's early on in the format. A lot of things can change, but I was excited and encouraged to see that for sure.
0: Yeah, there's, there's like 30 different decks on Goldfish listed.
1: That's cool. That's that's a really nice place to start your format out. Uh, certainly better than what we thought we were going into, right?
0: Uh, I mean, it's definitely better than last season.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think it—you know—if energy was still around in its strongest form, we would not be looking at anything like this whatsoever. Do you want to guess the most played deck? Monored. No. Grixis. Well, Mardu. Well, hold on. <laughs> I have some. I have some caveats. I'll give you the hard answer. The the most Red played X, deck... Aggro. Yeah, that's the correct answer. If you're just going by individual deck classifications, the most played deck was Grixis Energy. Okay. Seven seven copies. After that, Mardu Vehicles. And I've decided that we officially have to rename Mardu Vehicles to Mardu Freaking Vehicles, because that's just how it's always there. It does not go away. It, It will always be present. Until these cards are out of standard, Mardu Freaking Vehicles will weasel its way into every top eight Every time you declare, this is it for Mardu Vehicles, it's back. So it's now Mardu freaking vehicles, not just Mardu Vehicles.
0: Well, it's it's one of the decks that was the best deck at a point, and it hasn't had any banned cards, right? Like sometimes you played Ramp right. Rap Ruins or whatever, and you had Ferasidon on in the sideboard, but Gideon rotated, and that was like the only hit that it really took. And obviously, like it hasn't really gotten a whole lot of new cards since it's doing like weirdo mechanical things. But yeah, it's, it's still there. Uh, I hated on this deck in my article last week. You know, Mardu put up like a lot of good numbers, but basically I didn't really like Mardu because it didn't seem like it was very well positioned against the other aggressive decks, which I still think is fairly true. It's just that there weren't there weren't a ton of them, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree with your assessment. I actually played Mardu Vehicles this past weekend to a PPTQ finals, So the absolute apex of competition. What'd you lose to? Mardu vehicles. Mardu wow. freaking vehicles. In the fire. It, was a, it was a Mardu mirror. I got absolutely thrashed. I mulliganed a bunch and got ran over. But I, I mean, that's kind of what Mardu does, right? There's, there's no room for weakness against Mardu. And that's why it excelled in week one. And if you really want to kind of get broader on this standard format, I think you want to classify Mardu as, a, as part of the class of Hazaret aggro decks. And if you start looking at things as Hazoret aggro decks, so you include things like red-white, red-black aggro, which leaned more towards the red side, or even your build, which was black leaning towards the red side. Uh, If you start including Hazoret aggro decks together, they represented 33% of the top 16 field across those two tournaments.
0: I did see one Mardu list that had Chandra instead of Hazoret, which is kind of odd, but they were going up to Glorybringer also.
1: Right. Yeah, I saw that list as well. Interesting approach. Uh, hard to say. I mean, that's one of the things about Mardu is that it's very adaptable. And in a certain expected metagame, I can totally see that being the correct call. I mean, I, th- I honestly think in the matchups like Approach and, you know, basically any control deck that has a difficult time dealing with a Chandra, Chandra is more important than Hazaret quite often. Yeah.
0: If you're expecting a lot of the Constrictor deck too, I think Chandra Glorybringer is going to give you a lot more percentage than... Yeah.
1: I think you're right, and I, I, you know, I, I played three copies of Chandra in my sideboard because I was just convinced it was the best card in a lot of matchups. I wanted to have access to a large number of them. I shared that list over in our Patreon Discord, so people, if they're interested in the take on Marty Vehicles, can see it there. Was inspired actually by one of our Patreon supporters who did very well in the MTGO. Yo man five, yeah. I knew that. He put up a nice finish. I crib his decklist.
0: I read his stuff on, uh, like Reddit occasionally. He posts on Spikes. Yep. An active
1: spikes participant. Uh, so yeah, he gave me a little bit of inspiration. He said he liked the deck. I decided to give it a shot, mostly because I owned all the cards already and I didn't <laughs> know I have to go and buy a bunch of new stuff. But it was solid. It, it was good. It was exactly what you would kind of want to be doing in week one. Pressuring people's life totals, having those insane nut draws that Mardu's capable of. It still has the same fundamental weaknesses it always has. The mana is iffy. It has vulnerabilities to aggro decks for sure. Just like straight mono red is going to be a very difficult matchup sometimes, but it also still has the nut draws. So you could do worse than Mardu Vehicles in the coming weeks.
0: I definitely agree with that. One thing I will note though, is it's week one. And obviously the decks that uh, capitalize on people like stumbling or just maybe building their decks like a little too slow uh, are going to succeed more often. Like we see beatdown decks when uh, the week one open fairly frequently at this point. right? Mardu does things like a little differently too, where they have Heart of Kieran, So you need disenchants or fatal pushes, but like, you know, preferably more disenchants on top of your fatal pushes, right? Like you need a lot of answers to Heart of Kieran, And I think that is probably one of the reasons why Mardu did so well.
1: I think, you're, I think you're exactly right. It was underprepared for. Heart of Kirin has not been the focal point of the format for quite a while now. It's kind of shifted into the, the recesses of our memories, the dark days we spent under the oppression of Gideon and Heart of Kirin terrorizing us all the time. We've blocked it out at this point. So yeah, week one, it was a good time for Heart of Kieran to shine.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, the gift decks have been doing pretty well, more so on Magic Online, but I think they had a pretty good showing uh, at the SCG as well.
1: Uh, only two total gift decks across the two top 16s, but that may change if you go over to the team tournament. Like I said, I'm focusing only on the Classic yep. and the uh, the Magic Online PTQ. But I, yep. they've been all over the daily events all the time. So definitely a widely played deck that you have to be prepared for. And, you know, I, I think people were kind of cheating on their abrades for a little while. Stop cheating on your abrades. A braid's a very important card in this format. It's not a good time to get away from it. You, you want a lot of abrades right now.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And if you're playing black green, like play two appetites in your sideboard, please. Like that, that this is going to be one of the points that I kind of hammer on in uh, my Star City article this week is just like play more disenchants.
1: I think I like naturalize better. I don't think the two life is worth it, but you know, that's you can you can debate that one way or another. I like the efficiency of naturalize right now, but you can make a case for appetite as well.
0: Sure. Like natural state still exists, but it doesn't hit gift. So.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of a good hedge, right? Like naturalized sits somewhere between the two options where you have the two mana option and uh, that's kind of the sweet spot right now, especially for those decks where, you know, you can go two drop, removal spell, two drop, which you're heavily relying on in that deck. A deck that did fairly poorly given how well it seemed to just kind of transition into this new format, uh, only one appearance across these two top 16s for green black. I think the deck has potential but people are kind of just porting over old lists at this point and slotting in the new cards. I think it's going to take a little bit more creativity than that for green black to really shine.
0: I mostly agree with that. And green black is one of the more popular decks on magic online. And again, there's like the whole thing with like uh, how many decks are actually going five Oh, and like, which ones are they posting? And maybe like an abnormal sample size of black green decks getting posted. So you don't actually know like the metagame share or how much, you know, that deck is actually winning, but It is very popular in the decks that actually get posted. So it is doing well. And, you know, I think that's another interesting conversation is, like, why are these decks performing well in uh, different settings? But who knows?
1: Yeah, it's probably too early to say at this point. I mean, we don't know if there's any, like, homogenization, how different all these fields have looked from each other. Um, You know, Moto PTQ versus... Uh, in real life, there's the question of card availability and how much everyone get their hands on new cards week one, and how much people are are willing to invest in new cards week one on Moto versus in real life. There are a lot of really expensive cards on Moto just because there's like the values kind of concentrated in a very small number of cards, so those cards tend to really feel the acceleration of price on Moto. So cards like Rekindling Phoenix, uh, Rekindling Phoenix leading into the PTQ was over 20 tickets, and I, I think. The Merfolk Lord um, was also around the same price range. Uh, they've, they've leveled out a little bit, but there's definitely some card availability type stuff going on. Uh, speaking of the Merfolk Lord, zero Merfolk across either of these top 16s. Not surprised. That deck is not good. Uh, at least in its current incarnation, it's not being built properly as it stands. So, and, and I don't know the correct answer, but I just know the list I've seen are not a threat to this format as it stands right now.
0: Yeah, it's just go wide, make some make some fishies, and hope that's good enough? Like, who does that beat?
1: Nobody. Doesn't beat anyone right now, and that's the big problem. I don't remember if we discussed this last week. I, I'm starting to come around on kind of the idea that you play a lot of the, like, the Merfolk, find another Merfolk guy, and just make sure you always have Kamina no matter what, because you you don't do anything without it. You're completely worthless. But even still, that strategy is not going to be good enough against a bunch of decks. So uh, I don't have the answer yet. I'll, I'll keep thinking about Merfolk, but... I think you fishheads should probably wait until that gets sorted out a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I don't know what they're supposed to be doing. I don't know if nope. I don't think like the right of flourishing Tashana stuff is necessarily correct, but I don't know. What are what are they supposed to do? Maybe just like play more Rivers Rebukes, more more of the unblockable stuff. I don't know. Just it seems like their clock is so slow no matter what. I mean, this sounds really
1: stupid because this card's never going to get printed in a modern context, but they need, like, opposition, right? Yeah. Like, that's the card that a deck like this is missing. If you're going to do this strategy, you need some way to interact where, or, like, a lock piece or something. Thankfully, we're never going to see opposition again, but that's the card that this deck's missing.
0: I mean, even Collected companies, something that's like, all right, you have a pile of creatures. Like, what is the spell that you get to play in your pile of creatures deck that actually kind of pushes you
1: Right. I, yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it. And they're lacking that spell right now, as far as I can tell. Maybe someone smarter than me can figure it out.
0: Unsummon ain't it.
1: Nope, it is not. Too low impact. I love Unsummon. As much it. as I love an Unsummon. Love yeah, we're, we're both Unsummon fans. We're huge Unsummon fans. We always rave about the card, but I don't want to lean on that for my only interaction. So.
0: Yep, definitely agree. Uh, so, talking about Black Green a little bit and how they need to innovate, uh, some of my limited experience has just been like, oh, like... Maybe these cards are good and constructed. I don't know how much limited you've been playing, but Ascend is not that difficult to achieve, especially if you're like actively trying to do it. So uh-huh. I currently have this deck open on Magic Online. It is 70 spells currently. I have to I have to trim it down a little bit. A lot of spells. A lot of spells. So I'm looking at things like Merfolk Branchwalker, Jade Light Ranger, and then... Maybe like Winding Constrictor, Walking Ballista. Winding Constrictor is very good with Treasure Map. Treasure Map is very good with Ascend. Twilight Prophet seems pretty nice if you're like ascending on turn five basically every time, right?
1: If it's reliable, yeah. It becomes a very powerful card for sure.
0: And I got beat up so bad by Shoot Dryad. I think that card is going to fall short for Constructed, but that card is busted and limited.
1: Wait, which one is which one is Shoot Dryad? It's not ringing bells off the top of my head.
0: 4G, 2-2, two, two, at the beginning of each upkeep, create oh. a 1-1 one, one green sapperling, if you have the city's blessing plus 2 plus 2 to all saplings.
1: He's close, he's he's super tiny the 2-2 body is problematic where you know, like, shock is still a card that sees play sometimes, and there's like, moment of weakness out of the sideboard, and 2 is super vulnerable at, you know, as vulnerable as that card already is to just regularly play removal, like a braid and...
0: Right, but, but check this out, right? So... You're doing things like treasure map and the uh, explore creatures. Yeah. What I want to do is have like Wayward Sword Tooth or Reminep Excavator, maybe both, I don't know, and basically just try and like put a bunch of lands into play. If you have Constrictor Ballista, you could also play like Ranging Raptors, Ripdraw Raptor, and then maybe like Savage Stomp if you want to, I don't know. Like obviously Scarab God is the biggest payoff for once you have a bunch of mana in play. But yeah, like Scarab Godding shoot Dryads is pretty reasonable.
1: Yeah, that's a sweet target. I, I will say that I understand now why you have 70 spells in your deck because you've listed a lot of things right now. It's going to be tough to find a focus that can sustain through the early game in a format where hazard aggro is kind of pillar number one. I'm starting to see some of the, the black-based deck shift to four copies of Vraska's Contempt, and I kind of like that a lot. Obviously, you know, that's not going to solve all of your problems against Mono Red. Uh, you need to be able to interact early. But maxing out on that removal spell, it's starting to make sense to me. You need answers to Hazarette still. You need answers to the Scarab God. All, all these things are still very important. And those are probably the two most powerful, just on like raw power level cards in the format at this point. So I understand preparing for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can, you can main deck Golden Demise. You have Fatal Push Walking Ballista. I could stretch the mana and play Gifted Aetherborn. You know, like, there are a lot of ways that you could take the deck to make sure that you're, you you kind of, like, solidify yourself early. Obviously, there's Chupacabras and stuff, too. Another cool thing is, uh, like, if you have Champion of Wits with Excavator and Wayward Sawtooth, you kind of go off with Evolving Wilds, put a bunch of permanents in play. Hour of Promise almost gets you halfway there to Ascend. Yeah. If you actually bink it, make the zombies. You can, like, Tetsamok from hand and Scarab got a Tetsamok at instant speed so that's kind of <laughs> sweet
1: i love everything you're doing in this deck i do not see a coherent deck now but all these individual things you're telling me about i i absolutely love so okay get so this the, together for me i like it a lot the
0: last thing the last thing and this this is the hotness right here this i might actually incorporate into real decks time stream navigator really that's that's like the huh. that's like the best card to champion of wits away and then scarab god later you just win the game
1: it's a beautiful scarab god target for sure but if you're scarab, like it, it falls under that category, is if you're scarab godding, you're probably okay, right? Like, do you really need the extra turn tacked onto the scarab god? In some spots, yeah, it's gonna win you the game.
0: But- How much have you played with scarab god? Because. I've definitely had a bunch of games where, like, I just cast it and still lose, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm
0: oversimplifying. I
1: I mean, I, I don't think it's a you win the game on the spot. But when you're talking about, like, having the mana to bring back your Navigator and not be dead on board and then having the mana the next turn to get your extra turn out of it, like, you've already gotten to a fairly advanced state in the game.
0: Right. I mean, you, you need two activations up, right? So that you can activate it, untap, hit them, time walk, reanimate something else, and then hit them again. At the very least, like, you might not kill them, but at least you get, like, the extra turns worth of animating things. Uh-huh. And it's not like it's a huge investment, man. You just champion wits that thing away or you just cast it early and it's, like, a thing that cast they're going to have early. to kill
1: eventually. Who cares? I like this idea. I mean, you're kind of presenting this... I don't, I don't know if this is your intention, but you're presenting a deck that has a very bifurcated approach. Like it, it's it's good in the early game and all these cards scale into the late game very authoritatively. Like things right. like Champion of the Wits being on the play in the early turns. Uh, Scarab God, as you hit this monumental amount of mana, now it's it's even more effective. So I, I like the idea of a deck that is kind of bipolar in its approach to the game. Like it, it's as functional in the early game, but everything is just also scaling into the late game at the same time. And the Explore cards do a nice job of that, actually. Like the way they kind of... Uh, aid in filtering through your deck it, it all plays well together so it, it's kind of a new newer method of deck building i would say like i i don't think you really see a lot of decks built in that fashion like at, at least in terms of a per card basis because you're listing a bunch of cards which have that split personality where they're able to go in in both the early and the late game so
0: interesting yeah there's there's a lot of different ways to build this deck but Basically, I just want to have like the normal black green salt early value stuff, but also have some like kind of turbocharged way to put lands into play. And then that makes your scarab gods basically unbeatable. Uh,
1: I don't know if you caught any of the coverage this weekend, but I don't know if this deck actually has legs. But if you saw Jim Davis playing his kind of Bant Hour um, of Promise deck on stream he was doing some goofy things with access to a lot of mana, like always getting the zombies off of his hour of promise while finding uh, the the land that gives you city's blessing. And we pay five and draw a card. The arch. Um, he had tons of like, yeah, he had tons of thematic compasses all over the places. So he's sitting and play with like three mazes of ith and just <laughs> completely has his opponent locked out of the game. A really interesting approach to deck building and, you know, kind of emphasizing some of the same ideas that you're talking about where, playing a split personality game and scaling really well into this late game with all the mana in the world and and a lot of tools to maximize that mana. So yeah, interesting stuff. There's a lot of room in deck building. We're going to be kept in check by Hazoret. That's good though. Like you want that as a limitation on the format. You don't want to just be able to go off the chain. You want to have to give some consideration to the early game. Otherwise we'd all get bogged down in mid-range mirrors all day. So Hazoret's an important piece of the puzzle. If you can find a way to answer him and still get to this late game place where you're doing these powerful things then you have something special for sure
0: was was the bant deck one of the decks that he posted
1: i don't i don't recall seeing it in his article it's possible he did but i think he was talking more about sram and and the bant thing kind of came out of left field
0: it's just uh about heroic basically
1: yeah that's what i thought okay yeah, it wasn't what I expected to see him playing. And I, I, he actually played the Saram deck the next day in the Classic. He only played the Bant deck in the team yeah. event. So so maybe that says something about how viable he actually thinks the deck is. Because obviously, if he's playing the Classic, his team didn't make Day 2. And he was playing a new deck when it came time for the Classic. So I don't know. It looked awesome on camera. He was doing really
0: powerful stuff and
1: scaling really well into the late game. But I'm I,
0: down with Treasure Map Ascend.
1: I'm sold on Treasure Map. I mean, I, I'm convinced there's something there, and obviously it enables us send very well. You know, I played Black White in the Moto PTQ. Deck wasn't great. Kind of knew that going into it, but Treasure Map impressed the crap out of me. Like it's it's just a really, really strong card. Yeah.
0: There there is some strat where you get to go over the top of your opponent. I'm convinced of that. Someone will find it.
1: I look forward to that because that's one of my favorite things to do in Magic. So hopefully it comes to fruition soon and I can happily play that going forward.
0: Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about this. Maybe not right this second, but definitely at some point. Uh, modern Pro Tour is in two weeks, effectively. Basically a week, like once this goes up. But yeah, I kind of wish it was standard, man. I was going to ask you about that. And I have to assume that's kind of a
1: shared feeling among a lot of people. This is an exciting standard format. And I, I was going to ask, are you regretting that you don't get to play standard at this Pro Tour?
0: Uh, well, it would mean that I would have to do a lot of work. So <laughs> so you're enjoying taking it easy? <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of a toss up, really. Okay. That's fair.
1: So yeah, I I guess like I want your report on modern. You've been putting in all this time. I'm happy to sit back and listen. What's up with modern?
0: So the problem with modern and specifically the modern pro tours is that everyone ends up trying to kill you. And I have generally not enjoyed being the person who's playing like the turn five deck when you continually get paired against turn three decks. And everyone playing these turn three decks is generally what leads to something getting banned in modern, which is another downside to there being modern pro tours. But I'm just going to play some deck that kills my opponent, hopefully.
1: That sounds like a good approach to me. And are you focused more in that kind of turn three type range? Is that what you're gearing for right now?
0: Uh, Either turn three range or turn four or five, but has positive matchups against the most popular decks. Okay. Okay.
1: We've talked about a bunch and you know, I love that approach. I I think you have to be doing something proactively powerful, especially going into a pro tour.
0: So I I felt this way in the past where it's like, man, I I, want to win like a pro tour on my own way, like my own merits, you know, like I want to just like have an innovative deck and like play complicated games and like win that way and stuff. And it's like, nah, I'm going to be playing one mana permanence. I don't know if it's like, you know, death shadow, I guess kiln fiend is a two mana card like Slippery bogle, just something stupid, Amulet of Vigor, who knows what it's going to be, but it's going to be something.
1: It's kind of what Modern's about. I mean, part of being a good Magic player is recognizing the limitation the format's placing on you, and Modern is placing some very severe limitations on its players. Uh, I think that's part of why people love it, but it also stifles a lot of areas that you and I like to explore typically. I'm trying to be kind. I mean, we know we know how it is when you sit down playing a bunch of modern. Uh modern's one of those things that I've grown to love in small doses as relief from standard, but I do know what it's like to really sit down and grind some hardcore modern testing. And it can get frustrating at points.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I don't know. I, I enjoyed the Grixis Death Shadow games and, and stuff like that, but it's like I just don't think that you can do that for this pro tour. You just can't.
1: Do you have any predictions? I mean, you talked about maybe targeting what you anticipate the most played deck being. Do you have any predictions you want to share as far as w- where you see that going right now? It's,
0: it's weird because real life is like Vrix's Death Shadow, Jeskai Control, like the the ramp decks, like Titan Shift and Tron. So it's just like the format is a little slower, or at least appears to be on the surface. Like the Mardu Pyromancer deck is doing really well. The blue base decks are hmm. like you know, either blood mooning you or putting together some nonsense combo that may or may not kill their opponent. So it seems like maybe I'm supposed to be like casting glistener elf or whatever, and just, just killing them.
1: It's hard to argue with that. I mean, get your opponent's dead. that's a, that's a good approach throughout the history of modern. Yeah. I'll be honest. I I haven't thought much about modern. I I'm leaving that to you uh, and your expertise right now. I'm, I'm glad to sit back and watch this pro tour. I don't expect we're going to see any real innovation coming out of this Pro Tour, just really? because there hasn't been enough relevant prints. I don't think there'll be anything too exciting.
0: Okay, so check this out. Riser, Shintaro Ishimura, I believe is his real name. He has a Pro Tour top eight and is a Shadowverse master. Mm-hmm. Uh, he posted this deck. There was also an article on Haruya that wrote about something similar. It was like, Infect with Traverse. Huh. The, the Haruya article was... Pretty normal. It was just like, oh, here's my blue green deck with like some baubles and whatever. Like maybe you play some Street Wraiths and how much do you actually need getaxian Probe versus like the the zero mana cycler that just filled your graveyard for Become Immense and stuff. And I think that those are all reasonable things. So Riser's deck is Black Green Infect and he has Ink Moth Nexus, Phyrexian Crusader, and no other Infect creatures, no, not even Glistener Elf. Wow. And all he's trying to do is like bobble into one of these things, uh, maybe traverse for one of these things. He has a bunch of street wraiths and stuff, a bunch of hand disruption, and then just like one shot his opponent with become immense and some noble hierarchs.
1: <laughs> so he's like the simplest version of, in fact, you could ever be check your opponent's hand, make sure the course is clear and the game right there. Yep.
0: That's it. And the sideboard has four collective brutalities because burn is a horrendous matchup.
1: Yeah, that makes sense not fast enough anymore and i think I, I have a feeling once you get in brutality and you have access to crusader where you kind of you know close off all their outs they're not going to kill your guys anymore and they can never attack through you again probably you're turning that pretty positive post board once you're getting access to the brutality
0: yeah i mean this this deck looks sweet i definitely want to try it
1: it sounds cool it sounds like a unique approach you know the type of thing you're looking to do it, it sticks with my rule of modern get your opponent dead do it efficiently I like the idea of just, like, I'm not messing around. I do one thing with this deck. Here it is. Can you beat it?
0: Uh, what What do you think he has for a spicy traverse target in the main deck?
1: A spicy traverse target in the main deck. It could be something like an uh, artifact creature that returns an infect guy. Does he have one of those? Corpse cur. Corpse cur. yeah.
0: No. He, he does have a spicy artifact, though.
1: Okay, you, you got to lay it on me. I don't know.
0: So the spicy artifact is a Conjurer's Bobble.
1: That's the one mana. Uh, put a card from your graveyard on top of your library. Correct. Uh, bottom of library. Bottom of library. Okay.
0: And it's just another Mistress Bobble for Traverse, and yep. the spicy creature is a Slaughterhorn. What is?
1: Uh, I can't even think of what Slaughterhorn is. Does that destroy target artifact?
0: No, it's two uh, G three two Blood Rush, G plus three plus two. Okay.
1: Okay. So he's got a pump spell that he can traverse. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. Very nice tech. I like it. Um yeah, this deck sounds cool. I would certainly play some games with it. And a, a very proven player who is naysaying my negativity about innovation at the Modern Pro Tour. Maybe he's got something cool up his sleeve. Maybe he's bringing this deck.
0: Uh, I'm not sure if he's qualified or not. Oh, okay. But uh so I think Riser was the person who like won back-to-back Moxes in like 2014 or something. He he won a Mox so he qualified, but then he just he got to play in the next one and he also won that one. So then second place got the invite.
1: Just casually winning us, Must be nice, yeah. man. Must be nice. to Be great. Yeah. So just a master. And now he's a master of Shadowverse as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I follow him and get all the sweet deck lists. He's also just like a good, good brewer. Nice. Oh, one of the things that you,
1: you mentioned earlier, you talked very briefly about Mardu Pyromancer. Do you have any thoughts on that deck? Is it like, I mean, if we're going to concede that there is place in the format for a deck that's like fair, and Jund-esque in its approach, which there may or may not be. I'm not really willing to concede that, but let's pretend for a second there is. Is is it just Mardu Pyromancer now? Is that the correct deck to be playing in that kind of fashion?
0: Black, green, midrange also counts. Okay. Uh, I posted a list in the Patreon that you may have seen that was like no confidants, a uh, bunch of Field of Ruins, bunch of Brutalities and Tireless Trackers. I think that deck is also pretty good.
1: Uh, I, I did notice that you've now shifted to Ramanap Excavator when you and I were staunch advocates of never going Ramanap Excavator. But I do understand why you have access to Liliana, the the newer Liliana, Return a Creature from your Graveyard Liliana. Is that correct?
0: Uh, I had two in the sideboard, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, There was some reason why you're like now moving to the creature based version of Crucible of Worlds when you and I were both like always play Crucible of Worlds stop being stupid.
0: So I don't um, know I played games with Excavator and it's just like it's a good value card in random matchups and the body kind of matters to the point where you don't really care if it dies because like all of your creatures are great you know they're all going to die at some point point. Yeah. Uh, and then that kind of opens the door for Excavator to stick <laughs> instead of like you just having Crucible and not having a blocker so I, I'm not 100% sure that it's correct but to each their own yeah it's good that there's space for decks like this in the
1: metagame i think it's it's always a challenge to play a deck like that you're very matchup reliant people keep talking about this marty Pyromancer deck all over the place i've never played with or against it it's kind of on my to-do list because i have gp toronto coming up shortly so i do need to get some modern games in and i would like to understand this deck a little bit better if playing fair is an option i would love to do so i don't see it on its face uh i don't know what kind of it's addressing better than other fair decks. Granted, it has access to some cards which line up well against various parts of the format, but you leave other gaping holes in other spots. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it leans closer to what the actual metagame is right now, but it's such, it's such a gamble to play metagame games in the modern field. Like It's so hard to pinpoint exactly what you're going to be facing. I really don't want to go down that route. It just has to be blanket more powerful for me to believe that Mardu Pyromancer is the approach that I should be taking to fair decks.
0: Yeah, I mean every deck is going to be three percent of the metagame. I don't think that Morty Pyromancer does anything particularly great. Like having Bedlam Reveler as a mid game refuel is good, and having Lingering Souls is good. Mm-hmm. But past that, it's just like your clock is so slow, and I guess you get Blood Moon. But like those matchups are still also pretty bad. You're you're pretty you're secretly weak to graveyard hate. You know, like if people board in Rest in Peace against you, it's like kind of a disaster. So I don't know. It's it's weird, man. I I would I would probably not touch that deck. But I I was also interested in like trying to remold that deck with Death Shadow because I think that that would actually help some of the issues that the deck has. And like Bedlam Reveler is a nice teamer battle rage target. It's not necessarily good with teamer battle rage because you would have to draw into it after you reveler or whatever. You can't like you know be building it up. Right. But yeah, it's it's interesting, and I think that that build might have merit too. And then something like humans i think is a reasonable choice but i don't like how you only have like four to eight cards that are relevant in any particular matchup yeah. outside of you just clocking them
1: yeah that's an interesting way to look at it like you better draw the right cards for each matchup otherwise you're just wasting your time
0: yeah i mean your backup plan is champion of the parish on one and just kill them which is fine but it's like oh man if i don't draw a thalia or meddling mage against these combo decks no like chance. Then it means I'm drawing these Mantis Riders, and those aren't good. I guess you have a too so, yeah.
1: I wonder but if it's a dramatic improvement in most post-board games when you can kind of shape yourself a little bit more against what you're facing. It, it wouldn't surprise me if Humans gets better against most things post-board. You know, one of those typical Game 2, Game 3 decks where you can tailor yourself a little bit more efficiently than most decks can, because you already have some main deck hate cards against everyone.
0: Yeah, and That's certainly true. It's just like their sideboard is so narrow that I'm not sure how much better you actually get.
1: Okay. So maybe just the inefficiency of the answers you're bringing in makes up for the fact that you have so many different answers you can you can slot into your deck.
0: Well, it's just any, any like if they're playing combo, you get three sin collectors. Like, is that enough to actually like sway the matchup? I mean, maybe with mana acceleration and phantasmal image and stuff it is. I don't know. I don't know either. I, I have
1: yet to play games with humans. It doesn't seem like my style of deck. It would have to be putting up some really insane results uh, for me to go down that road. And I it, think its results it kind are just gone. Of is. really, I, it seems to be just like another part of the field. Like, yes, it wins sometimes, but it's not outstripping anything else that could potentially be played in modern.
0: Dude, it just showed up out of nowhere. Like Collins Mullen wins every tournament. Jonathan Rossum wins every tournament. Like, I don't know. It just, it seems really good. It's just, it, I think humans kind of fits the mold for what I want in a modern deck where it gets under all these like turn four, turn five decks. But I want to do something like that is way more broke than just play Grizzly Bear that might have an impact on the game. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. I'd rather just like kill them, kill them than try and like nickel and dime them while disrupting them.
1: So you're not, you're not a Hate Bears fan. That's not your style.
0: Nah, not really. I don't know. I mean, not for modern. Like, I, I like putting people in a chokehold as much as the next guy, but not in modern. I, I'm with you. It seems more
1: suited to a legacy play style than modern, where you have more access to like better mana denial is the piece that you're really missing in modern. You've always, we've cobbled together our mod, mana denial in modern in terms of like, Leonin Arbiter and Ghost Quarter, or you know Thalia having some effect on the board, but it's it's not the same effect you can get when there's Wastelands and and Ports. That's really the me- missing piece of the puzzle for decks like that to be as effective as possible.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if humans had these twelve disruptive cards and also could play something like Wasteland or uh, Ports just as incidental disruption against combo decks, like Valakid or whatever. Like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Now I'm now I'm way more interested, you know? But you just have 20 lands that cast your spells and don't do anything. Yeah,
1: blank lands all over the place. If you could make red mana reliably, you could trigger Bloodsun and go down that road, but you just can't do that. Like your mana base has no room for flexibility whatsoever. You have to completely retool your options in the main deck to, to have access to cards like that.
0: Yeah, you need you need the Ziggurat because you're splashing like Freebooter and stuff, but it is possible that you could just trim it down to like band splashing red or something and do something a little bit different. But then again, you're like you're slowing yourself down in order to play these cards like Blood Sun that don't really work with the rest of your deck.
1: Right. And will be blank against a portion of
0: the field as well. So another problem to answer. Yep. And then you play against Amulet and it just helps their careers. So <laughs> sort of. Yeah, man. Modern, modern's in a good place. It's in a weird place. Uh, question for you, I suppose, is do you think that – I mean you said that you don't think that people are going to innovate. Do you think that the Modern Pro Tour is going to lead to a significant portion of the field all figuring out what the quote-unquote correct deck is to play and then will that subsequently lead to a ban?
1: Oh, that's such a tough question because I honestly think there is a possibility that there is no correct deck there has to be a breaking point where the field gets so wide that there's no longer an answer. Like it just has to be so fundamentally different than everything else that's being done. And we've explored all those routes. Like we know what the turn two combo decks are. They're super fragile. <laughs> I, I don't think Grishol brand is going to show up and dominate this format. There, that space has just been mapped out at this point, And there's been no new prints to really enable anything else coming out. So I don't think that's going to happen this Pro Tour. I, I honestly don't. I think this is going to be a safe Pro Tour. I know people have their worries. I, I just think it's going to be more of the same. I think it's going to be more unpredictable, modern decks all over the place. And I don't think there's really going to be a genesis to one particular archetype. Granted, maybe post-Pro Tour, when like, you know, the channel Fireball deck comes out, people might get real excited about that. And that may see an uptick for a little while, but eventually it'll be answered and things will ebb back to this kind of parody that we have across a ton of archetypes.
0: You say that there haven't been new prints. And while that is true, these Death Shadow decks, they they formed because a card got banned and people were forced to build their deck differently. And Infect had Ketaxian Pro banned as well. And now we see people like, oh, let's try Traverse and Street Wraith and all these things. Like people are starting to do new work on these decks. Uh, Storm is another one. Humans is another one. Blue-white control to some degree, you know, like even Lantern with Whirr. Maybe there haven't been new prints, but there are certainly new ways to, to build these decks, right? Like, does that not count?
1: No, th- there are, and, and that should count. But I guess I am questioning the fact that modern is now arguably, and I think maybe, maybe inarguably at this point, it's, it's possible that this is becoming arguable. It's the most popular format. There is a ton of people who focus on modern, who play modern all the time, who are brewing modern. And I recognize that in general, that doesn't align with the typical pro tour attendee. There's kind of some separation between those two groups of players. Yeah, But there's a lot more of those dudes than there are of the pro tour attendees. You're talking like 350 guys versus whatever, 2 million guys who love modern to death and play it all the time. And kind of just like by dumb luck, like a million monkeys in, a, in front of typewriters locked in a room, coming up with deck lists. There's these, a lot of these things should have come to fruition by now because we've mined a lot of territory in Modern. And it's like with the SCG series and, and having regular tournaments, and even Moto too. You look at a deck like the um, Pongify deck that we saw back a little while. There, there's a lot of room for decks to kind of bubble to the surface and catch attention. And I kind of think a lot of that would have happened already. I'm not saying there's no room for innovation. There's always room to build better. There's always possibilities that we will see efficient tweaks to existing archetypes. But I would be very shocked if this tournament fundamentally changes the face of modern. I guess that's what I'm saying.
0: Word. Uh, So another Pongify deck did 5-0. So that's two. Count it.
1: Yeah, that, that's a tier one archetype now in modern. You get two five O's over the, a month, and you that's enough to break into the uh, top tier of modern archetypes at this point.
0: Yeah. So, also, uh, one of the five O's on January 18th was a Grixis Death Shadow deck, uh, which, you know, not super exciting, but they they weren't a normal Grixis deck. They had Kiln Fiends, four Battle Rages. Bunch of mutagenic growths and, and stuff like that. Like the full amount of stubborn denials. Like this is the type of innovation that I like. And this is like, you know, certainly the style of death shadow that I would want to play at this pro tour, because you're, you're looking at a, a lot of turn three kill potential. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's innovation, man. That is, that is just taking pieces from our garbage deck from pro tour return to Ravnica and mm-hmm. <laughs> lick and sticking it with the current age death shadow deck.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to believe that like this deck is good now and it wasn't good when Gataxium probe was around it probably
0: Um, was but we didn't do it just missed it we never registered this deck
1: you know maybe i i I feel like me personally at some point i probably put kiln fiend and death shadow together i'd be very surprised if i never played games with this and you know granted i could have just got it wrong but it's it's just hard for me to believe that any kind of major archetypes have been overlooked but you're right there's still room for tweaks there's still room for these, these little, you know, optimizations of deck lists. and And honestly, that could be just as exciting. And if it's done to a strong enough degree, that can change the face of the format. I just don't know that there's going to be anything like that here. I'd be very surprised if that's the case and more inclined to think things just stay pretty level. And uh, it's probably time for an unbanned soon. Shake up the format a little bit. I'd like to see Bloodbraid Elf come off. Um, get these kind of fair mid range decks back to a level playing field, where and I, I don't even know if Bloodblade Braid would do that. To be honest with you, it may have no impact whatsoever on the meta game, but at least give it a
0: shot. Yeah, and I, I think that's also just completely fine if you unban a card and it doesn't see play. You know who cares?
1: Right. Right. Exactly.
0: The For list. The, the list should be as small as possible.
1: Right. I'm with you.
0: Uh, what else do we have? Like Traverse going into like Green Sun Zenith territory at this point where it's just showing up in a bunch of stuff and granted Street Wraith is part of that problem? I don't think Traverse is
1: problematic. Like, it's fundamentally fair enough. It's not troubling me on rate. I guess. it's.
0: Oh, I'm just saying is, does Traverse existing mitigate the necessity for Green Sun Zenith to be on the ban list? Like, since you have Traverse, do you actually need Green Sun Zenith to be banned?
1: I believe so. I, I mean- you're never going to talk me into Green Sun Zenith while Dryad Arbor. So if you want to propose a situation where they swap and Green Sun comes off and Dryad Arbor goes on, I'll start having that conversation. But as long as there's a one mana Rampant Growth that's also a tutor for every creature in your deck, you can't really convince me that there's place in Modern for Green Sun Zenith. I, I do like the idea of exploring a Dryad Arbor ban. I think we've talked about that before, but yeah, you you can't sell me on the idea that Traverse is would force Green Sun Zenith out of the format as it stands right now.
0: The reason, the rationale behind banning Green Sun Zenith was that uh, there was a concern that a lot of the green decks would all look very similarly. And I think that between Traverse, Collected Company, Court of Calling, things like that, I think that it's pretty easy to say that that is not the case
1: fair yeah if i mean if that's the main concern and, and if you want to believe that as the reason why green sun can't exist in the format then i'm with that uh, that makes a lot of sense but again i just don't believe that to be the reason I, I think it has a lot more to do with dryad arbor than anything else so
0: sure uh well what if what if we unban green sun zenith but ban the foil dryad arbor the one that looks like a forest that one especially has to be
1: banned but all <laughs> dryad arbors has to go no, oh, no more dryad arbors they all have to get out but that one should have never been printed and should be banished to the depths of Magic Hell. I don't ever want to see that Dryad Arbor again.
0: I agree. Uh, what about something from Lantern? What happens? What happens if there are a bunch of draws at this Pro Tour?
1: Something probably finds its way to the ban list. I mean, if it's if it, if there's a a problematic logistics issue, that's probably the best way something gets banned from this Pro Tour. And if on mass everyone decides Lantern is the best deck, and every single round goes to time, and there's the end of the day is all. Uh, the end of day two is all lantern mirrors and the top eight has four lantern decks and we're watching more lantern mirrors. Yes, you'll see something from lantern go away on logistical reasons. I'm sure Wizards is probably shuddering at the possibility of untime rounds with lantern in the top eight. Talk about a nightmare for viewership. It would be worse than the the eggs top eight where a Sifco won. Yeah. <laughs> just an absolute disaster so I'm, I'm sure that's on their list of concerns right now i i do think there's a possibility of a logistics ban for something the lantern at some point i don't think we're there yet because it's such a small portion of the field but if that changes dramatically at this pro tour those cards will find themselves on the watch list real quick
0: canister is qualified and he did just 5-0 a league just saying
1: he could be the guy. He could be the one to undo Lantern time.
0: I mean, it's him, Sam Black, BBD. Those those are my three Lantern homies. I think for their, yep. this, this tournament, seems plausible.
1: And if, if it doesn't extend beyond them, it's it's not a huge issue. But if some like if some testing group say like the Channel Fireball face to face configuration, they have twenty five representatives come and play Lantern, uh, that's going to be problematic for. Lantern's
0: continued existence in modern, for sure. If that team all decides to play Lantern, Godspeed. <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, look, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but those are the circumstances under which you you might see a Lantern of Insight banned. Yep. Maybe the most innocuous card ever banned.
0: Yeah, if that was the case, I agree completely. I mean, if you if you're going to ban Lantern of Insight, unban Greensland Zenith. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. This could be the tournament for Amulet, I think. Amulet is another deck that I've kind of been given props here and there where it's just like there there are a few people who are specialists with this archetype. And I'm not sure if any of them are qualified or not, but it is a very, very scary deck. Did you get in some
1: Amulet reps on your side of the table? or, Or is it something you've been considering? Or at least at some point you
0: put through the ringer and maybe ruled out as not for you? I don't know, man. I was one of the OG people that was playing Amulet. I like the deck. I
1: know. One of the first times I ever remember you and I collaborating on a deck, it was in a Facebook group talking about Amulet like way back before it had any success whatsoever. Yeah, it was in yeah, like 2012 we or something. Yeah, a long time ago. So I, I know that's an archetype that you certainly have some fondness for.
0: Yeah, and now, now the, the lists that are showing up have four Lotus Blooms, which I'm kind of down with.
1: Ooh, nice. Get that fast mana in there
0: hive mind is back in the sideboard also down with that
1: yeah that was one i know we had hive mind in our early list that uh, was oh, yeah. definitely where we started
0: yep so i don't know i mean I, I think the deck is good like i don't know i don't think i would play it
1: i mean is there can you think of a set of circumstances that would draw you to lantern like that's the thing is i can't even envision a metagame where i'm like yep i'm playing lantern now this is or excuse me i'm playing amulet now this is definitely the correct deck
0: i think if there was like a lot of tron and valakut and i just wanted a deck that was a little bit faster and like amulet was a little more consistent because like those those decks just like can't interact with amulet you know like they can kill your glistener elf or whatever like they are set up to be able to kill small creatures from time to time right so i think it is possible that there is a metagame where i would want to amulet people but when there's also like storm running around i think i just want to try and kill them with creatures because it's much faster and much more consistent yeah, I, I guess I would
1: also argue too that if like you're coming into a meta game where you're choosing amulet to target Valakut and Tron, then lands are already wearing the target to some extent. Yeah, and that's problematic. And you know, I, I'm not trying to shoot holes in your theories. Obviously, you're, that's a whole thing to unpack in and of itself.
0: No, I but, was I was just throwing out some like weirdo hypothetical. You know, it's just like in in theory, like this is me metagaming where no one is metagaming against me, you know, like I'm right. not necessarily thinking about that next level.
1: Right. And and that's exactly to my point. I, I don't know exactly where it slots in because there's all these other factors that you'd have to determine. And your guess when to play it is as good as mine. I just don't know at this point. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of hope that I, I consider blood mooting for this pro tour too, but it's like, if, the people who qualified, like a lot of the PTQ players, are playing decks like Tron and Titan Shift. They're probably going to stick with it. And then that means that the doors open for these slightly faster decks to come in and beat them up. So I thought about just like blood mooting people. And certainly that's going to be good against a small ish portion of the metagame, like, you know, maybe 20, 25% or something. But mm-hmm. I'm also just, you know, probably going to get beat up by the people who are trying to attack the land based strategies in different ways. Right,
1: and and I think you can argue that that's like Blood Moon still remains a checklist card. Like it's a card that you're conscientious of in your deck selection and deck building. Like, am I just scooping to Blood Moon? Sometimes the answer is yes, but quite often I think decks are still making a concession here or there where they're trying to mitigate the effect of Blood Moon, especially in a Pro Tour field. I like could see that being more apt. Like people just don't want to give their day away to oops i got blood to like (laughs) they're gonna have plans to kind of circumvent that scenario so
0: yeah but blood moon has historically not been super popular at pro tours so i don't know that's also kind of interesting but you know hey kiln fiend and team of battle rage are red cards so blood moon me see see what happens yeah still casting them no problem no problem might be tough to cast my ops but you know whatever
1: You'll be fine. Don't worry about it. As long as you have Kilnfiend, everything will be fine.
0: Ooh, the deck does have four mana morphos. There you go.
1: Great, you win. Easy game.
0: Yep. Game over. Man, I want Kilnfiend to be good, and I want I want to <laughs> I want Josh Joe to have to play Kilnfiend in every Pro Tour. So
1: is he is he a Fiend hater? He strikes me as someone who would be a Kilnfiend hater.
0: Well, the only Modern Pro Tour he played in was the Niv Magus one, and he played that. oh, and he was on board with Niv Magus.
1: Yeah. Okay, so he's definitely a Kilnfiend hater at this point. He's oh, had yeah. nothing but horrible experiences. Yep. Owen oh one try and slip some niv magus elementals into his deck that's really what you that should be your main goal for this tournament dude i still have just those throw. great nobody's ever going to want them you'll get to keep them forever you'll never have to sell them
0: <laughs> oh, i'm just gonna give them away to some poor sap probably a good idea you don't want to get stuck with those oh yeah i do every time i see him i'm just like what the hell god damn it <laughs> just bad memories anyway uh do we have a, a question uh, we do have a question. Actually, this is
1: interesting. I want to get your take on this. There, There's a request for an ongoing weekly question. And it is that we just do a real quick, the end of every, every episode, what would you play this week? And I like that. I, like, I think we should be making sure we make a concerted effort to tell our listeners what we'd be playing. So why don't we do that? Why don't you tell me if you had a standard tournament, let's do standard instead of modern because you do have a modern pro tour, tour. Coming up. You don't need to tell us your deck choice, but if you had a standard tournament coming up this week, what would you play?
0: Uh, I would be working on Nonsense Ascend Decks, but realistically, like, gun to my head, what would I do? Uh, Grixis Energy. It looks like the Moto lists are all like Supreme Will, Glimmer of Genius, Torrential Gearhulk, Hulk, and I don't think you can do that in this format. I think the format's like a little too fast. So if you can cut the red, red cards and cut the big torrential gear Hulk nonsense and actually focus on just like beating up on aggro decks and uh, like God Pharaoh's gift. Then I think you're in a good position. Other than that, I don't know. Just like sultai stuff is probably pretty good, but realistically you're probably supposed to be attacking people still.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that approach. I, I think I would likely give Mardu vehicles one more run. I'd probably tweak things a little bit, look for an edge in the mirror Uh, Make sure I had access to probably four braids, at least in post-board games. I'd start thinking about Ballista again to pick off things like veteran motorists and BOMAC couriers. Uh, It could be Ballista's time to come back. Um, But I, I like one more run for Mardu vehicles. Outside of that, I'd probably be exploring... I had a friend this weekend who who played basically what you're talking about, Soul Tie Good stuff with branch walkers and Jade Light Rangers and eventually getting to Scarab God and, and getting away from the constrictor, the winding constrictor package. Yeah. Starting to think winding constrictor is a trap for the green black X decks, and you kind of need to get away from it if you're going to find success in this format. Um, so I'd want to explore that type of Sultai good stuff is, is a totally reasonable approach, but probably sleeving up Marty vehicles. Plus, I already have it built, man. I don't have to go find <laughs> cards. I don't have to buy anything. Like, it's sitting right there. I can pick it up and go to the tournament. So that always gets points for me.
0: You didn't play any like Angraths or Rekindling Phoenixes or any of that nonsense? Slaughter the Strong?
1: I, an I had an Angrath in the sideboard. Um, it was great. It, it was really good in, in the role I wanted it for. Um, I only saw it like twice, but both times it was very effective. Uh, I think it was against approach both times and just great. It it completely did what I needed it to do. I think it probably has a place at least in the sideboard going forward. It's not a fundamentally game changing card, though. It doesn't totally flip the archetype on its head. But I do think it would be very successful in like black, red mid range type decks which there probably is some room to explore in this format, probably based on treasure map.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Chandra Angrath is just like a nice one-two punch against like the control and mid-range decks too.
1: Right. So if I'm just mushing together some cards in my head real quick, you're talking like cheap removal, fatal push of braid, treasure map, Chandra, Rekindling Phoenix has a slot in this deck. Certainly you can play some number of glory bringers and kind of take it from there and Angrath or two. I, I mean, I think that's a good base for a successful deck. You can explore Gonti, if that's a card you're interested in, if you think you have to win kind of attritiony type games. Um, you have to find a nice three-drop like piece of glue to hold the whole thing together because you're really heavy on the four-drop slot right now because you're going to want some Vraska's Contempts as well. Yep, You probably have to max them, honestly, to have success in this metagame. So there's a balancing act to be done. I, I'm just sketching it real quick out of my head right now, but definitely a fruitful area to explore. There's something there.
0: Yeah, you also have like Sleep Siphoner or Gifted Aetherborn at the two-mana right. slot. Dire Fleet Daredevil is not completely embarrassing. I think the the glue, like the divination type thing is just treasure map.
1: Probably. And and actually, you know, I got to the point with my black-white control deck where treasure map was so important. I was playing copies five and six in Azor's Gateway. And I'm going to be honest, that card was pretty good. Yeah. And I totally didn't expect it to be. But I, I won a game against blue-white cycling where they were making like nine drakes a turn but I was tapping my uh, flipped Azores gateway for like 33 mana and just killing all of their drakes anyway. And there was nothing they could do about it. It was great.
0: It, it felt awesome. How did, how did you have so many cards? No, it's, it's not cards. It's life. No, I know. Uh, but like, how are you killing all of their drakes all the time? Profane procession,
1: bro. Obviously. Uh, Come yes. on.
0: My mistake.
1: I, I guess I did leave that out. That's kind of an important piece of the puzzle, <laughs> but yeah, profane procession. I just went off and obliterated their board. So yeah, I, I'm kind of a, a little bit of a believer in Azor's Gateway, but with the caveat that treasure map is better. So you really need to be in the market for like treasure map five, treasure map six before you're exploring Azor's Gateway.
0: Yeah. And I, th- I think like these, these Black X mid mid-range decks are kind of in the market for that sort of stuff. Like if, if, right, if it's right. not Azor's Gateway, then it's Glint's Leaf Siphoner or something along those lines.
1: Sure yep reasonable reasonable cards still a lot of turf to explore here, so i I definitely am excited to play some more standard.
0: dude me too i'm I'm currently in a league with some uh some mid range garbage, but I want to try this go over the top stuff see see what I can do.
1: yeah, it seems fun to work on it's a It's a complicated puzzle to put together. Anytime you sketch out a deck and you have 70 spells, you know you have a lot of options to sort through and a lot to figure out, so that should be a fun process.
0: Yeah, man, I just I just want to get that Siggy's Blessing just every game. Siggy mm-hmm. C- really needs
1: to make a version of City's Blessing which has his face on it. If he doesn't show up for that, prepared for that at the Pro Tour...
0: Oh, he's got to win an Invitational or something, right?
1: I mean, I would just commission it on my own. If if my last name... If people referred to me as Siggy, I would certainly have already made the Siggy's Blessing uh, token to carry around with me at this Pro Tour.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll have to get one of his Pro Player cards. Good idea. That's a good approach. Yep. Uh... Also, cool news. I got our tokens in the mail from Inkland Customs.
1: Oh, nice. Very exciting. If people haven't seen our tokens, they're, they're so good. They're uh, just awesome.
0: Yeah, so I posted some pictures on Twitter, and I'm going to be redoing the Patreon sometime when I get back. I already have the numbers sketched out. Brian, I have to send them to you and you know, have you check off everything yep. and give you some ideas and stuff. But yeah, I got some some new rewards coming. So I think that's going to be really cool. And Jessica England did a fantastic job on these. So yeah,
1: I'm I'm excited to be able to share those tokens with everyone. And also, you know, kind of on that point, our Patreon has shown some really good growth lately. Our Discord keeps getting busier and busier. I think people are are really enjoying kind of the discussion we have over there, the the approach everyone in that group takes to magic and the collaborative environment. You know, I think when we add these new rewards to the mix there's basically no excuse to not be a patreon anymore we're just we're giving all the value
0: well we're trying to we're trying, trying to We try we try our best i
1: i think we're we're very patron minded we we try and give our best to our fans yeah
0: i i definitely agree you know and uh i can't wait for these rewards to get updated and everything and then uh a few months from now i have some other cool stuff that'll show up in my mailbox and that'll be even sweeter yeah can't wait can't wait at all Dope. All right. Uh, so this weekend is GP London for me. You have another PPTQ or anything?
1: Uh, I, I'm assuming there's a Moto PTQ. I haven't looked at the schedule, but I'm assuming there's a Moto PTQ that I'll probably be playing.
0: All right. Playing some mardu doo-doos. Yes, sir. For the
1: time being. And, and unless you figure it out. Unless you get that City's Blessing deck together before then. I don't know. know. I'll I got I to I play. Unseen. I trust you, man. I trust you.
0: I got I to gotta play Modern uh, Leagues with Kiln Yeah. What a letdown. Enjoy,
1: I guess. Dude, I, mean, I know, I know. Have fun traveling the world and playing Magic. I'll, I'll just get
0: to play standard. You're the loser here. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> I'm I'm playing Rivals of Ixalan Limited where they're going to have a 4/4 unblockable on turn 3 and then it's going to be the exact same stuff in modern. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe I am the winner this time. <laughs> this, this would not be uh The most exciting pro tour of all time, but I like traveling and I, and I like Spain a lot too. So you get, you get that at
0: least. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Not,
1: not, not your cup of tea, huh? I'd rather stay home. Okay.
0: I, I, I know that I'm ungrateful. I know that, uh, there are a hell of people out there that would happily, you know, trade spots with me. So I try not to, you know, I, I try to just be thankful for what I have, you know, and I'm, I'm certainly Glad to get to play in another pro tour because that is always fun. It doesn't matter if it's like just mono cold snap limited or what. So,
1: right. I I mean I I don't think you're being carmugny about the experience. I think there is a lot of like logistic headaches that come with having to leave the country and travel a lot. And you love the magic aspect of it. I think more than you like the all all the uh ancillary stuff that goes with it. So
0: that is that is definitely true. I definitely take that stuff for granted at least a little bit at least a little bit so I, I try not to i try to keep things in perspective and everything but it's hard sometimes
1: i understand i'm with you that's okay next time we're traveling together for a pro tour i'm gonna amp it up i'll we'll, yes. we'll do
0: traveling together
1: we'll do backpacking we'll go crazy it'll be awesome And
0: we'll just be vlogging the entire time and we'll have our foil yeah. tokens and it'll be dope mm. handing them out to random people on the streets they're just like who are these no 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 they have to themselves. they have to sub to our patreon first Okay, good idea. Make it tough. Patreon.com slash The Game Podcast.
1: Yes, sir. That's game.